time now for Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast on 101 ESPN. Where we go, it is a Monday morning on Scoops with Danny Mac. That is Colin Surrey, our producer today. My name is Dan McLaughlin. Great to have you with us here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, I'll have a visit with Matty V, Matt Vaskersian, the play-by-play man for Sunday Night Baseball, lead anchor on MLB Network. Will we have baseball? If so, what's it going to look like? And what is it like jet-setting across the country with J-Rod or A-Rod and J-Lo? My visit with Matty V is coming up. I mean, he is Colin. I mean, you're with J-Lo every Sunday night. I'm in. Count me in on that. Can you ask for anything better? I don't know. I mean, you're calling Major League Baseball. You get the prime game of the week. You're working with A-Rod. And then all of a sudden, uh, there's J-Lo in the booth. And you're jet-setting across the country. I mean, mean, that's pretty good, man. A-Rod's a star. But, Dan, I grew up watching J-Lo in the morning on MTV (laughs) every single day. That's the pinnacle right there. There you go. We start this morning with baseball, and this is potentially a huge week for the game. MLB will present the players a proposal of if and when they can start a season. Now, some of the highlights of this proposal from what we're taking in over the last couple of weeks would be that teams would train in their home ballparks. The alignment of the league would be done geographically to cut down on travel. There would be seven teams from each league in the postseason, so you'd have seven. Now, there's a ton of questions with this from the players' perspective, their health, clearly, that's first and foremost. Also, rules adjustments in the game as well. Seven-inning doubleheaders, could have it. Starting a runner at second and extra innings, could have it. And maybe the implementation of a universal DH for both leagues. Longtime play-by-play man Dan Schulman was a guest of Randy and Michelle on Friday. I think we'll eventually, let's assume next year things are relatively normal. Uh, 2021, I mean. I think we'll go back to American League, National League. Uh, the, the divisions as we know them. But this year, let's say we do those three 10-team divisions, which is one of the things they're talking about. You're going to have to have a universal DH. And I think that's one thing that'll change. I think we could see a universal DH this year, and it might just stay uh, after that. Um, but other than that, I think we'll probably get back to pretty much the way uh, that baseball has been uh, as we've known it. But you know what? Anything is on the table. And if something works, then I think they're going to take a serious look at it. But, you know, the uh, having an American League and having a National League is as you know deep a foundation as baseball has. And, and we've all heard the talk about, you know, if they expand to 32 teams, there could be massive change, massive realignment. I do think that's going to be a consideration down the road, but I think it would be unlikely, Michelle, for it to happen next year. Well, it got me thinking, who would be the Cardinals' designated hitter? Right now, Matt Carpenter put Tommy Edmond every day at third. Paul DeYoung, when he needs a break, how about Dylan Carlson as the DH? I think any of those guys would be on the table. I realize I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's wishful thinking because it is baseball. A lot needs to happen between now and then. The negotiations are about to get going, and it seems like everyone can agree that they want to play baseball, and that's that's number one. Everybody wants to see the game back. That's the good part. My concern right now, and I talked about it with Randy and Michelle, that's the money. How is this going to work out for both parties? Players were given an advance of $170 million, and that doesn't have to be repaid. They're also getting service time. This season, even if no games are played, and that's huge for arbitration and, and moving forward towards free agency, that's a big deal. Now, my concern is that if this isn't worked out again, 
fans just don't want to hear it. I don't think they want to hear it. If it's about money, like Michelle said, and I agree with her, the unemployment levels are hitting the country at record levels, so it could be a PR nightmare if you're fighting over money. Time will tell. Let's hope that cooler heads prevail. This gets worked out. Not sure you saw this. NCAA leader, if you will, Mark Emmert said he doesn't think that sports can return until all students are back on campus. Seems reasonable or is it? Jay Billis, ESPN analyst. Well, theoretically, I don't think anybody would would disagree with that. I mean, Bob Bowlesby, the commissioner of the Big 12, and Val Ackerman, the commissioner of the Big East, have said similar things. But you have to remember, like the NCAA office in Indianapolis has no say over football. And if the SEC or the Big Ten, if they feel like they ha- they are safe enough to play football, they're playing football, and the NCAA is not going to be able to stop it. Uh, I think the issue will ultimately be what does what does an open campus mean? You know, can you have uh, some some students on campus but not all? Does it have to be back to normal? Uh, whatever normal will be, um, I think we're going to see we're going to see these universities do everything they can in a safe manner. There, there's nothing craven about this, but but if they can play football, they're playing because it is that much money and everybody knows it. Ain't that the truth? It would be hard to imagine though that every every conference being in lockstep on what is right to do, what's in the best interest of the schools, and how to handle those situations. So it's a simple question: If there aren't kids in schools, should you play? If kids aren't on campus, the quote-unquote normal kid going there to get his degree, her degree, should you play? What if a particular part of the country is a hot spot and others aren't? Kids are going to school right now on Zoom. Is that considered normal? That's now the normal right now. It is fascinating, and to Jay's point, so much of college sports hinges on the revenue that is brought in from football. It'll be awfully tough. I mean, really tough for certain schools and their programs to survive without college football. School presidents will hear that uh, there could be a loss of billions. That's coming. And all of a sudden, they may change their thinking as to whether or not you play football if they're kids on campus. In the NBA, over the weekend, Adam Silver, the commissioner, held a conference call about where they stand in trying to complete their season. One of the top riders covering the sport, Brian Windhorse. The NBA is making it up as it goes along. And I know that sounds bad, but it's actually pretty responsible and really their only choice. They're changing their standards on the fly, specifically when it comes to standards for what they need for testing. They're changing their requirements and changing their hopes and dreams for the practice facilities getting open. And what Adam Silver told the players was two things very important. Number one, I'm not going to put you in a bad situation. I'm not going to force you back soon. I'm not going to put you in an isolation bubble that you don't want to be in. I'm not going to force you to go with your, with your teams if you're not ready to go. But the second thing he told them was, hey, our CBA that we have right now is not designed to handle this. So as we begin looking at this, whether it's to return and finish this season or go into next season, we may need to have some hard talks. And that's one of the most important things that nobody wants to confront, but is true. The NBA does not want a labor issue in, in turn to dealing with this virus. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, Adam Silver, to me, by the way, the, the commissioner of the NBA, he's been a leader in this situation. He's been very, very good. He's been transparent. He's been open about making sure the health and safety of the players comes first. Now, Shaquille O'Neal said he thought they should just call it a season and gear up for 2021. Not sure you saw that. I'm not there yet. Number one, sports is wanted, needed at this point for much of America. I think it's a welcome distraction. Secondly, again, the money. Be an uncomfortable conversation, as Brian said, concerning future earnings. Everybody has been hit 
Sports, no exception. If you get on the floor and play, play safely. Let's do it. Did you have the check uh, or did you have the chance to check out the uh, UFC event over the weekend? Fascinating stuff. Really fascinating. Sports without a crowd. You could hear the cornermen, the fighters could hear the announcers. They dealt with one of the fighters having tested positive for the virus, but they scratched him. They moved on. They showed that sports can move on even with a positive test. I was watching and it made me think of baseball and other sports and how it may look. Was it odd without a crowd? Yes. But then I got used to it. I did like hearing the intricacies of the fight. Kind of brought you into the ring. And that will happen if and when we see baseball. Coaches, noise from the dugouts, bring you inside the game. Not ideal. Won't be normal. It'll be sports. I'll take it. Last dance. We have only two more episodes left. I'm curious if you... Uh, you know, for especially the younger fans, if this has changed your perception of Michael Jordan. So for me, I watched this happen. I watched it unfold. For some of the younger people, they're watching different players, LeBron, KD, those guys now. So younger fans, curious if it's changed your perception. Great piece in the Post-Dispatch this weekend with Derek Gould. He talked with Jack Flaherty. We know that Jack loves Kobe Bryant. Now he's getting a peek behind the curtain of the work ethic of Michael Jordan. We all are. It's reminding me just how good he really was and the work that it took to get there. It was amazing. Last night, it showed the adventure into minor league baseball. That really, really piqued my interest. So he started at AA. Now think about that. He hadn't played baseball since he was 17 years old. And now he's in his, what, he was 32, 33, I think, at that time. Right, Colin? Yeah. So now when you hit AA, you're not that far from the major leagues in 2020 guys make that jump from double a to the major leagues all the time and he's playing double a baseball hits around 200 people say that's 200 that's 200 for a guy that hadn't played in nearly 15 years at double a it's incredible kurt bloom the voice of the barons was on this morning with randy and michelle and it was a media frenzy for the first three months randy it was uh, april may june um and that would be about in, in the minor leagues again we have a split season uh, like that every day, every city, every place we went to, I think slowed uh, things started slowing down sometime July or August, but uh, it was a crush and, and how we handled it, what we did uh, once per series, Michael had a press conference and uh, you know, he still had a lot of NBA contact. So they obviously had their access. But when we went to the Memphis's of the world, Orlando, uh, Zebulon, North Carolina, uh, all those places, just one shot, one day in, here it is, get it all out after BP, um, and that was it. There were really no one-on-ones, but and, and that didn't stop, like I said, until probably mid-second half, July-ish. So is the last dance change your thoughts on MJ at all? We're getting kind of a behind-the-curtain look at what this guy was all about, and you could look at it a couple ways. Tough on teammates. Is that being a good teammate? Or other people would say, no, being tough on your teammate is making him better. Doesn't come across great at times, that's for sure, but they won six championships. Younger fans, did you know what Jordan was all about? What have you learned from him? And by the way, last night, the pip and dunk on Patrick Ewing, awesome. Doesn't get enough credit. It's one of the best dunks ever. Might be the best dunk I've seen in this documentary. Phenomenal. Air Comfort Service text line open 65780. You can deliver a mic drop on the Rhino Shield mic drop. Any of these topics, it's all yours. It's a Monday. We visit with Matty V, Matt Vaskersian next on 101 ESPN. 
More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Many, many years ago in San Diego, it was like Ron Burgundy came out of a car and came over to me and said, would you do a pregame show with me? And his name was Matty V. Matt Vaskersian, who you now see on Sunday Night Baseball, the voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN, and the lead anchor at MLB Network. And I don't know if you were Ron Burgundy back then in San Diego, but, man, you've done some amazing things, Matty V. Good to hear your voice. How are you? It's it's good to talk to you, Danny. I honestly I gotta I gotta just admit to you right up front before we get too too deep into anything. I, I I mean I've been looking forward to this call for a while. I mean what, we've been in quarantine <laughs> for two months. I just read through online the uh, guest roster that you've had on over the past number of weeks. Uh, yes. Assistant night manager at Ted Drews, <laughs> uh, Metro East Water Commissioner. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that I finally got the call, man. It's good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. I had to get the heavy hitters out of the way before I got to people <laughs> like yourself. Um, you, you know, you're in New York. Paint a picture for us here in St. Louis and in the, the Midwest about being in the epicenter of this virus in North America, what what is it like in New York? Can you try to paint that picture? It's it's surreal, um, and I think, you know, without without expressing how I feel because I'm not sure, I change by the day as to what's happening in our country. Uh, I know that out here, it's just it's much more prevalent than it is anywhere else, and statistically, that's true. I think anybody that reads the newspaper or watches the evening news, knows that to be a fact. Um, but because of that, it, it, I think there's there are far more people here that are agreeing to the stay-at-home quarantine than there might be in other mm-hmm. parts of the country, just sure. because we see it everywhere. I mean, we live on a street with five houses, and four of them uh, were positive, tested wow. positive. My wife has the antibody, so it went through our house. And... Um, it's just it's because we're in the epicenter and we have respected all the wishes to stay home. We haven't been into New York City, though. We live an hour away, 40 minutes as the crow flies. I know people that live in the city who just it's like a scene out of a strange movie. Um, you know, when the streets are dead, when you could walk up and down Sixth Avenue and there's no one around and no cars and no commerce. It's like something that uh, none of us have ever seen before. How do you stay busy then if you're Matt Vaskersian and you're quarantined and, and you're adhering to everything that you're supposed to be doing? How do you, as a broadcaster that's done a ton of different things, how do you, how do you try to stay busy? Well, I told myself, I think as we all did, Danny, that we were going to just get better at our jobs with this time that we were afforded. We were going to get some of the reading out of the way that we never seemed to have time for. Uh, we were going to go and and, you know, research players and prepare our game notes more thoroughly and in a, in a kind of a more um, referenceable way than just having loose leaf pieces of paper on your scorecard as I do. And all those plans went out the window because I've got a five-year-old here and two teenage girls and and we have, my wife and I have enough going on in the, in the house to keep us busy, whether we're working or not. Um, we also thought, gosh, what a great chance to catch up on some movies and none of that happens because no. you're chasing kids around all exactly. day. Exactly. And that's and that's good. I mean, I've, I've had a chance to spend more time with the kids than ever before. And um, I now have almost completely taught my son to differentiate a Keith Moon who song from a Kenny Jones who song. <laughs> he's pretty good at that now. And he's five, so I'm particularly proud of that. You and it's should just be. Been, 
we're just living our lives, you know, we're not really, and I'm trying to try to find that balance between absorbing news and not letting it bum me out. That's the challenge. As you can imagine, with this being such a great baseball town in St. Louis, our fans are dying for sports. Um, and they're dying for Cardinal baseball. They want to see it back on the air, however it's presented. So I'll ask you, I know you don't have the answer at your fingertips, and it changes, it seems like, hour by hour, day by day, but what are you hearing about the potential return of Major League Baseball? Well, you know, the report that got kicked around about a week ago that uh, I guess uh, former big leaguer Trevor Plouffe, uh, he was like the breaker of news in this one that there was going to be a proposal sent to the players union by major league baseball. Um, and that's, that's what we're all waiting for. We're waiting for that, that proposal to be sent out. I know there are many plans that have been discussed. Um, if, if the union and the league can come to some kind of an agreement and do it within the parameters of the many restrictions that have been put up uh, by individual state governors, then maybe, maybe we get spring training in June. And maybe we get opening day on July 4th. And if that's the case, I think all of us will consider it a huge win. There are a lot of things that need to happen before all that goes down, of course. Um, but I, I'm optimistic, and I'm, I'm really trying to stay that way, not, not only because it's our livelihood, but because, man, we, we realize how important this is for the country. And, you know, you can watch classic games. You can read all-time lists, but nothing takes the place of having 15 games on a day. It's what we love about baseball, the fact that its, it's frequency uh, kind of weaves itself into our daily lives for about seven months. And when it's gone, we really miss it. And I think uh, all baseball fans, whether they're in St. Louis or anywhere else, would agree. Yeah, that's well put. Matt Vaskersian, voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN, also lead anchor at MLB Network, my guest. Um, have you thought about, because I think about it a lot, doing a game without fans or doing it from a studio or wherever they may have us do it? Maybe your home. Have you thought about uh, what that might be like for you? I have, and um, I, I'm willing to say that I, I would do whatever it takes. Uh, if if games are being played, I'll, I'll do whatever I'm asked, whether it's you know set something up at home, drive to a studio, or even be on location. I, I just, it's just that important to get these games on the air. I know that the, uh, the games that are on ESPN right now from the Korean Baseball Association, it kicked off this week. I know that the broadcasters are in their homes. Um, it's, it's less than ideal, but it works. And we all just have to be ready to pivot that way. I've done games in that, in that way. I think you probably have too, Danny, whether yep. it's a, a world feed or you're taking some kind of an international feed someplace, it, it can happen that way. And we, I don't think anybody can complain whether it's a broadcaster or a player about modifications to the game or to the telecast, given the circumstances. This is an opportunity for baseball to roll out every experimental option it's ever dreamt of. And anybody that holds up a fist or, uh, you know, presents a red flag, shame on them. Because if you're going to object to seven-inning doubleheader games or uh, a rules modification that has, uh, you know, a reliever needing to record three outs or end it inning, whatever it is, this is the time. Nobody should object to anything at this point because we're, we're lucky to get games in. And whatever they can do to make those games uh, play out quickly 
uh, to avoid extra innings. I, the one that they're talking about that I love, even in a non-COVID environment, is when you get to an 11th inning, uh, the inning begins with a runner at second. I just love that idea. We saw it at the World Baseball Classic in its last running. It's not a given that that team is going to score. It's not a given that that, team, that that team's only going to score one run, and it expedites uh, a final score. It puts a period on something that becomes interminable and detrimental to the next day's game. And if you're trying to compact the season and get 100 games in in 105 days or whatever the task will be, then you got to figure out how to avoid those dire extra innings marathons. So again, all those experimental measures, thumbs up, let's do it. I'm totally with you. I've said from day one, it's a blank canvas. So whatever you want to do, you've got the double headers that are seven innings, which they do in the minor leagues. As you mentioned, starting a winning run and extra innings in scoring position. I think the universal DH is coming, whatever the case may be. Now is the time to do it, and I'm even for an electronic strike zone if it got down to that, even though it's not perfect. I don't know if any of these things really catch your attention, but they do me, and I'm I'm like, hey, let's do it. Let's just roll it out right now. Yeah, I'm with you. The electronic strike zone might be the one that I'd need to be convinced on a little bit more. Um, I, you know, I, I, I get people that argue in its favor. I just think that it, if you did that one, it's so imperfect right now that to put that and, and hang a season on those, that, that might be the one that I kind of slow the brakes on a little bit, but I'm with you on, on everything else. Let's go. Let's just get the season in whatever it takes. So Matty V pull back the curtain for me a little bit. Uh, and for our listeners, you're, you're, you know, you're a big star. Okay. We get it. Now you're hobnobbing around <laughs> Stop with it. Stop. Now you're hobnobbing with JLo and A-Rod. So what is that like when they're around you? Obviously Alex is doing the games, but then JLo, who is an international superstar, she's in here. I mean, she's in Bush Stadium last year. That was the last time I thought this is crazy. You know, this is JLo's sitting in the booth. So what is it like being around those two on a on a at least once a night week basis? She, first of all, she is to be given a ton of credit. I mean, and you're, she, and you're a star, by the way, baby. You're, you're a big time star. Stop. Okay. Stop. I will. I'll stop. Such a clown. I've stumbled <laughs> bass backwards into a career and I'm happy to be here. Um, <laughs> I, I, she is to be given a ton of credit. She really loves this guy because she has been at the first year we were together. I think she missed three games all year or four games. Is that right? Um, yeah. Like she was every weekend she was there and I'm like, why is Jennifer coming back to Houston for a third time to sit? I mean, we do games in the stands or used to at least. And she would sit there in the stands like, and she doesn't arrive with this huge team of support people. You know, people might think that she has this enormous entourage. She has maybe a couple people with her at best. And she sits with her fiance. I mean, she loves this guy. It's, it's really, it's, it really is a kind of a fun thing to watch. When you when you observe them post game, especially in a place like L.A. or New York, when there's tons of people around and paparazzi types, um, it's it's almost I didn't never neither one of us was around when JFK and Jackie O would, uh, you know, traipse through Camelot. Right. But it has that quality. They've both got they're both impeccably dressed. They're both, uh, you know, super attractive humans. And they're in each other's arms. 
and they're walking hand in hand. And I'm like, man, this is this is like a royal couple. Uh, but, you know, on a personal level, they're both very kind. They're both very generous. Um, and it's it's just kind of fun to watch the dynamic. I, I love to hear that. I'm going to wrap it up with this. We all are missing sports. We all miss baseball. You travel the country doing games. And, and if I say that St. Louis is a special place, people expect that. I've been the Cardinal broadcaster for a long time. I grew up here, yada, yada, yada. But when it comes from a national guy and their perspective, it's a little bit different. So what is it like when you come through St. Louis on a Sunday night and there's 40,000 people? And I always say this, I do believe it's a different place. But do you feel that way too when you come through to do a game in St. Louis? No question. And, you know, every every municipality in sports thinks that their fans are the best. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to say best. I will say this, though. I don't think there's a fan base in sports that wraps its arms around its teams the way St. Louis fans do. I mean, unfailingly loyal is, uh, is an understatement. And in a down season – in a world championship season, it is Cardinals baseball is so incredibly relevant in in a large region of the country, uh, stemming from right there at Bush Stadium and and in having a huge footprint um, beyond the city, beyond state lines, as you know. It, I don't know that there's a team that's more relevant in its marketplace than the St. Louis Cardinals, and that, that's in any of the four major sports. And you feel it as a broadcaster when you go there. I, I know that uh, our fans certainly appreciate hearing that, and I appreciate you. You're one of my best friends in the world. I miss seeing you. I'm just uh, so delighted to hear that you and your family are, are healthy, and make sure it stays that way, and uh, let's get some baseball at some point this summer. Thanks, Matty V. I appreciate you. Same, Danny. Yeah, I hope to see you soon, man. Be well. It's Matt Vaskersian from MLB Network and the voice of – Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN. Always fun to catch up with Matty V, one of my favorite people and broadcasters in this business. All right, next segment, we're going to open it up. The text line, 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line. And uh, Matty V, by the way, was on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Drop me a mic drop, the Rhino Shield mic drop. You're listening to 101 ESPN. What you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers. It is 1034 here in St. Louis. I'm Dan McLaughlin. And just like you, waiting for baseball, waiting for sports. Hopefully uh, you enjoyed that visit with Matty V, Matt Vaskersian. A lot of text to get to. Air Comfort Service text line, the Rhino Shield mic drop. A reminder, 101 ESPN presents Play Gloria. The St. Louis Blues run to the cup every Thursday and Friday night. Hear the replay of two classic games from the Blues. Historic run to the cup. Relive each game with added insight, behind-the-scenes commentary from Chris Kerber. This Thursday night, Blues-Sharks game three. That was the hand-pass game, if memory serves correct. And then Friday night, it's the Blues-Sharks game four. Pre-game starts at six, play-by-play at seven. Play Gloria, the, I, that's easy for me to say. Play Gloria, the St. Louis Blues run to the cup, brought to you by Mitsubishi Electric Cooling and Heating. We have a mic drop, and this is David. None of this surprises me about MJ. I was one of the few St. Louisans who had a uh, season ticket pass to the Bulls' final three seasons. 
and just to watch him on the floor and watch him and see how the opposition reacted to him on the floor, even if he may have had a subpar half or quarter. And I think it came out yesterday. He could explode easily for 30 or 40. Yeah, I I went to a game to see his final season in Chicago I totally agree with you because in that game, first of all, the worm got thrown out, threw his jersey into the seats. That was fun. So I figured I got my money's worth that way. And then MJ had a a pretty rough start. He started out like something like two for eight, something like that, you know, and he was missing shots. And then all of a sudden, in a five-minute span, he put up 22. Did that in five minutes. And the guy could just turn it on like there was no problem, no big deal. From the 618, love the show. Bring on the DH. Who do you like in the DH? Well, thank you. Um, I think interchangeable parts is the way I'm looking at this because there is no clear-cut DH right now for the Cardinals. Now, if you had Jose Martinez, who was traded away, went to Tampa Bay, that would be my DH. He seems to be primed for that particular spot in baseball. I also believe Universal DH is coming. Players Association is going to welcome that. That means a well-paid job for their union brethren. Um, So I think DH by committee. That's the way that I would look at it. Uh, Let's see. From the 636, over your years commentating, who would you say was the greatest talents of a prospect coming in that you have seen in the Cardinal system? By the way, miss hearing on the games and absolutely love this show. Thank you very much. Uh, The first one that comes to mind is Ricky Ankeel as a pitcher. Um, just electric stuff, and it was ridiculous how good he was. Remember, he was the number one amateur player, not just uh, in his state, but in in the United States. Coming out of Florida, he was a can't-miss prospect, so that would be number one. The easy one is Albert Pujols, who had just a remarkable spring training, and to see what he did uh, and then made the team and obviously had a remarkable uh, rookie season, that would be number two. And the other guy is Alex Reyes. I, I was told, watch out for this kid, Alex Reyes. And I met Alex when he was in his first camp. And a lot of times down in spring training, I go down early for the club and, and we work on different things for commercials, for radio and TV. And we do this in the back part of the complex where minor league guys go and also uh, those that are on rehab. And he was dealing with something. It wasn't a serious injury or anything. And he came up and introduced himself. And I just remember the impression he made in talking to him. He's a very bright kid, very polite, very respectful. And then I watched him pitch. And I thought that first game that he threw against Cincinnati in his Major League debut, this is the equivalent to Albert Pujols as a pitcher or Ricky Ankeel. Those would be the three for sure. How about a J.D. Drew? What did you think about him coming up? You know, J.D. was super talented. There's no question about that. And, you know, we're watching... I think that the knock on him is always going to be kind of like when you're watching MJ and that desire and the competitiveness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. And I'm not saying that J.D. Drew wasn't competitive. It was just done in a different way because, you know, he was kind of a quiet guy, kind of went to the beat of his own drummer. He wasn't a guy that was, if he struck out, slamming bats in the dugout and, you know, going crazy in the clubhouse. Some guys do. That's how they deal with the pressure of the sport and failure. Um Super talented, though. Great power, great swing, um, and also just a guy that that could play all three outfield spots. And remember when he came up, he was kind of mixed in a lineup that had a lot of boppers, and so much was put on his shoulders. And I think that's something that we miss a lot of times. 
you know, he, he, he opted out of, of signing with the Phillies. He goes to the St. Paul Saints. Everybody knows he's represented by Scott Boris. There's a ton of pressure when he signs with the Cardinals. Um, great player. And it just, uh, you know, he made his money, got out. But I, I don't think he was to the level of those other three, Ankeel, Pujols, or Reyes. Uh, let's see. From the 314, Dan, can you explain how the DH is going to create jobs? Will rosters expand because of it? I think it means older players will hang on, uh, around longer. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's certain guys that towards the tail end of their careers, this is the one way they can hang on. Albert Pujols may be that guy. Uh, there's other players that you look at, maybe Paul Goldschmidt, the tail end of his career, that buys him a year or two if he's still popping home runs because a premium is put on the long ball now. It creates well-paid jobs, put it that way. So if you're not having the pitcher hit and you've got to go out and find a guy that's in the middle of your lineup that has a chance to do damage, I mean, they're paying big money for those guys. Big, big money. Um, And that's why I think the players' union would say, hey, let's go for it. Dan, loving the show. Where does Kim fit into the Cardinals' rotation? I had Kim, and you're talking about KK, who signed uh, in the offseason a two-year deal with the Cardinals' I had him in the, the starting five, and so in no particular order, just off the top of my head, it would have been Wainwright, Jack Flaherty, Dakota Hudson, Carlos Martinez, if you're wondering, would have been a part of the Cardinals rotation and not a closer, and then Kim would have been you know, part of the starting five. Now, where that fits in, one through five, I'm not sure, but I did think that he had shown enough that he would have been uh, a part of the rotation. You know, we saw this with Sung Wan Oh. When players don't see a player or a pitcher – and all of a sudden, they've got to face him for the first time. You can look at all the video, and you can try to study him as much on tape, but there's nothing like facing him that first time. And Sung Wan Oh was able to hide the ball so well, had good stuff, and had great success. And guys just could not get him in. They just couldn't lock him in and, and find a tipping point with him and some of the things that he was doing. And I was seeing that, too, with Kim. There were some odd swings against Kim uh, in spring training. And I think fans are going to like him because he's got a lot of personality, he hops off the mound, he shows it, it's kind of fun to watch, and he's got good stuff. Um, I would also say this, that if and when baseball comes back, throughout the starting five, you're probably going to need to have a rotation, let's say starting rotation, of seven to eight because you're going to have to piggyback, I think, a lot of these guys. So, for instance, if Wainwright goes – you know, the first time out, three or four innings, you know, kind of like a spring training game, Daniel Ponce de Leon is backing him up and he is going to have three or four innings and then trying to get to your bullpen. Uh, I would say Austin Gomber is there too because Austin uh, really, in my opinion, had a very good camp and was impressive. Very, very impressive. Uh, Let's see. Hmm. Got a lot of these coming in. You know what, Colin? It's kind of hard to like just keep reading them. You know what I mean? It's a, I got to get this down, man. Well, when you have a really popular show, oh, Danny, man, yes. what, what tends to happen Thank is you. the text line lights up and then it starts moving on you. And yeah. You have to try to scroll and catch up with it. Hey, I feel your pain. I know what's going on over there, Dan. <laughs> 636, maybe Carp would be a better hitter if he didn't have to play the field and could just focus on his plate appearances. Love the show. Thank you. Um, I do find that interesting because there were some players, so in interleague play, guys that had primarily been uh, National League players were asked to be a DH. So we kind of had a funny um, shot on the games. I think it was last year with Jose Martinez, 
and he was like running up and down the dugout. Do you remember that, Colin? He was trying to stretch and stay loose, and he couldn't do it because he was so amped up and so geared up to try to think about at bats. I remember talking to Matt Holiday about that. He was a DH one time, and he said, you know, the thing is, is that you at least have something to take your mind off the at bat because you try not to take every at bat you know, into the dugout. If you've had failure, you you, you go out. You got to think about making a play or defensive alignments, uh, checking your card of where to be with particular pitcher hitter matchups. Some guys like it, some guys don't. I think there is an art to being a DH. I really do. And there are a lot of guys that you see when when they make a great play in the field. A Colton Wong comes to mind when he makes a great play Thrives in the field. On it. You know he's going to come up to the plate and do something. Whether whether it be an out, he's going to be productive with that out. He's going to make something happen. Jim Edmonds, another guy I remember yeah. who would take his defense to the plate in a positive way. Absolutely, Hubbard Radio's deserving delivery, saying thank you to those helping care for our community. Today's very deserving delivery is going to the great folks working at Sunset Hills Police Department and Melville Fire Protection uh, Protection District Station 3. Their awesome staff will be enjoying 100 meals today delivered by Pretzel Boys. Those meals are courtesy of Hubbard St. Louis and our good friends at G&W Meat. Thank you, G&W Meat, and our continued gratitude to all those great folks working in our medical community on the front lines from our station and the entire Hubbard St. Louis radio family. Colin Surrey, our producer. I'm Dan McLaughlin. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers 1045. And we'll cross it over with Rivs and BK. And that's next. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Reminder, I'll have the Redbird Report coming up at 6 tonight on 101 ESPN. Rivs and BK, part of the crossover. I'm Dan McLaughlin. All right, we got the uh, the last dance. I'm sure you guys are going to jump into it. We are. have to. Um, I'm curious from a, a former player's perspective, when he talked about competing mm-hmm. and he got emotional, I wonder how many guys percentage-wise across the board, NBA, NHL, MLB, when they talk about competing, they would start to tear up <laughs> 25 years after their career is over. I would say not many. Well, look, uh, let me put it this way, and – it's hard because that's the one thing you miss the most. It really is. The like camaraderie, too, right? The camaraderie, for sure, in the locker room. But you have to remember that this competitive animal that you've been feeding since you were, in my case, like four or five years old, you're feeding that animal every single day at practice and games and practice and games and in the weight room. And everything you're doing is this, like, you're tapping into this intensity that you have to put out there, and then it's gone. Mm-hmm. And now what? How do you fill the void? And BK and I talked about it one day briefly over text message. That was the hardest part for me. Like, I can't just walk into Walmart and a guy cuts me off with his cart and I put him through the wall because, you know, hey, that's what I'm used to do. Don't you take my space. You tried it. It didn't work. I did. And the charges were pending, but we we worked out a deal. And I'm kidding. That's a joke. I think the hardest thing that I have found with former players, and it's not overstating this, is that when it ends, the adulation is over, the skills have eroded, and the competition is done, what's next? I got uh, yeah. 40 or 50 years left in my life. Now, I may have a, a bank vault full of money, and that's great. You made your money, and you can relax and really dictate what you want to do. But what fills that void once it's over? What's hard is if you're hoping you have this vault full of money, right? Right. But not, uh, not, not always the case. Does. That's right. Not always the case. And uh, it is hard. It's hard to find your way after. It's hard to to be competitive in everything you do. And 
And a lot of guys struggle. And, you know, the 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 late Todd Ewan really helped mm-hmm. me out. And, you know, all, I didn't have a college education, nothing like that. And I'm sitting there lost pretty much. And Todd Ewan says, hey, dummy, you've got a Ph.D. I'm like, what are you talking about, a Ph.D.? He goes, how many people in the history of the NHL have as many games as you played in the NHL, as many experiences? Everything you've done is unique. You have a Ph.D. That's right. in hockey. That's right. And he goes, now you just have to figure out how to use it. Yeah. And, and so I agree with that. From there, I just started building up some stuff and doing some on-ice skills, and then Synergy Hockey came about probably about a year and a half later, and then just started doing broadcasting and being an analyst with Fox Sports and in radio. And so, yeah, I'm trying to use that PhD every day that I can. Dan, imagine if somebody came to you, because like I, I'm obviously not Danny Mac. I'm not comparing myself to you, but this is all I've ever done. All I've ever done, all I've ever wanted to do is radio. Imagine if somebody came to you one day and said, Danny Mac, you're no longer allowed to do play-by-play ever again. It, it's it's over for you, whether it was because you decided to call it quits or the league, or for this instance, the profession has determined that you are no longer allowed to do that. Well, the coronavirus did. Um, sure, but I, I mean, like, forever. You, you're never going you. to be able to do it. That's that's basically what we're talking about with these athletes. Oh, I, I totally agree. I mean, I miss it. I mean, I this is what all this is all I ever wanted to do was do play-by-play. Now, I played sports all the way through it it, it, i went on a college scholarship to play baseball i enjoyed it i knew when it was over because you'll you'll i think you'll appreciate this like i I was whatever i was a fine player played we all were fine players as kids right so some kid i can't remember what it was we're playing in a college summer league he came back from the uh, cape cod league and he needed to get innings in and so he's throwing like 94 to 96 (laughs) and i struck out and i said boys it is a fi- I knew it was over, but now it's officially <laughs> over. Okay, I have no chance to hit this guy. But I didn't want that. I, I, it was a means to an end. I wanted to do play by play. That's all I ever wanted to do. And so, to your point, you know, not to get uh, pull the curtain back too much here. That's one of my favorite things to say. But it, it's been tough, man, not yep. to have play by play. And I know for fans, you love to watch the games. Believe me, we love to do the games. Mm-hmm. It's and when it's taken away, man, that. That's no fun. And so, yeah, to your point, it's that part has been tough. And you do think about, man, what, what would you do if you didn't have this, right? Or you didn't have a radio show to go on and have some fun with and act like a goofball, which I do. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is, this is an outlet for me. It's been a lot of fun. So, yeah, that part is tough. It is tough. And one thing that you hit on, too, earlier when you just said, you know, like this is no more fans and stuff, the applause is gone. And I don't care what athlete you are. Yes, you're being competitive. You're playing for the love of the game. But the the fuel of the fans cheering you on oh, or man. booing you, like if they love you or they hate you, like I'm telling you, that, that didn't matter. Like the you fuel feed was off there. it. You feed off of it. And then when you walk into, I'll use Walmart again. They should be running some ads on here for this, but mm-hmm. we'll call you later, Walmart. Now, if I walk into Walmart and I grab something off the top shelf and I place it perfectly in my cart, nobody is cheering on that play. Yeah. And so you're like, okay, so yeah. how do I feed this ego? It's, what's now? self-worth, right? I yeah. mean, you get you get something from that as a professional 100%. athlete. 
What do you got coming up on the show, BK? So coming up today, we've got Mark Saxon at 1130. We're going to talk about a lot of these things with him, what baseball is going to look like whenever it returns. BJ Armstrong, the former Bulls guard, is ah, going to join us good. coming up at 1230. We've been efforting him for a while, so I'm excited to have him on. And at 130, uh, Royals outfielder Brett Phillips is going to join us. He's got one of the best laughs in baseball, but we want to talk to him about what he's been doing to stay ready for the season. Rivs BK coming up. Colin, great job. I'm Dan McLaughlin, and we'll talk to you tomorrow at 10. You have been listening to the team. TV voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, Scoops with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN.